Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What do you do when something starts moving things around your house and writing on your walls? How do you protect your family from a force that you can't see? Who was Mr. Entity? Well, hello there and welcome to the 614th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul and Ben is either going to be late or is among the missing this evening, but he's okay, don't worry. Uh, these creepy questions anyway have to do with a very interesting guest we have this evening. And uh, we will welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. Deborah Moffat is the experiencer behind the 2014 novel A Deadly Haunting, based on the experiences she and her family endured with what we would call a pretty nasty parasite during the 1980s in California. This year, Deborah published her own nonfiction book on the incident, Unwelcomed. The case went on more or less steadily for years. If this case uh, was what it appears to be, then uh, that makes it one of the longest poltergeist slash parasite incidents I've ever heard of. Of course, my old comrades Ed and Lorraine Warren were involved at one point. Deborah Moffat, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you for having me. Okay, very, oh, let me put my headset on here. <laughs> okay, uh, Deborah, um, so you were from New York State originally. Uh, you got married and moved to California. Your husband yes. um, had a house he'd inherited, and you decided to rent it to a tenant. Can you pick up the story from there? Uh, yeah, we, we rented it out to, to a gentleman. Um, years, a few years before how this, I, the researchers believe this started, uh, my mother-in-law had hired a Guatemalan housekeeper. Um, my mother-in-law had the house in the middle. Then my husband had the house on one side, and her mother had the house on the other side. Uh, her mother had a stroke. She uh, brought in a Guatemalan housekeeper. Uh, the researchers believe this happened. This is what instigated what started to happen. Um, my mother-in-law's mother died. Before she died, this lady didn't want to lose her job. So evidently, she may have practiced some type of Santeria. And they believe that because when my mother-in-law went to clean the house that she shared with her mother, uh, there were broken rosary beads, blood, feathers, different symbols all around the house. So they believe that that is how this all started. Uh, oh, okay. By the time I came to California, it was 1984, 1984, yeah. And uh, my husband was living with his parents in the middle house because he had a heart condition. So we decided to, to stay there. So the, the four of us were living in that house. We rented out his house to a, to a young man. My husband had a large sports collection. So we just rented out uh, one bedroom, but he had house privileges. He could go where he wanted in the house except the one room that was locked. The very first paranormal uh, experience that I had personally, we went to the house to check on his sports memorabilia, opened the locked door, and all the bobbleheads that were on the walls on shelves were taken off the shelves and put in the middle of the floor in a triangle. Okay. Of course, at the time, we thought it must have been the tenant got in the room and was just, you know, touching things. Uh, he swore he didn't get in, and the room had been locked. 
But, you know, you never think it's something that you can't see is doing something. Sure. So we just thought it was him. Deborah, let me interrupt you for just a minute, uh, just to back up. I, I don't like to use terms that people might not understand. So what you mentioned the term Santeria. I just wanted to just briefly explain to anyone who might not know what that is. It's sort of a hybrid religion that uh, sort of more or less springs from, uh, <clears throat> well, its roots are in Africa, but then in, in uh, the West Indies particularly, and it's present in, in various areas in the United States with some of the Latino population, some of, some of it anyway. Right. It's and, supposedly uh, a combination of voodoo and Catholicism. Yeah, there's, exactly. There are a lot of Roman Catholic symbols, hence the rosary beads, etc. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to explain that. So go ahead. That's okay. Um, it progressed from there. I mean, we decided we'd come and check the house more often because of this. Then something very strange started to happen. We started to get in the house we were living in in the middle, um, what are called a port. Now, a port which at the time they're we had no ports, idea what they were pronounce. called. Yeah. Now, they're, they're things that are moved without any physical means. They just appear, move around by themselves, and those were ports. Well, my mother-in-law woke up one morning, and she had a, a chest next to her bed where she, she was very religious, and she had statues of different saints and, and Jesus, and she woke up in the morning, and there was a pair of men's briefs over a, a statue of Jesus. Now, that was the very first port we received. But then we started getting different things from and Later we found out they were coming from the house next door. The reason we found that out was because he, we started getting things with his name on them. Interesting. So we knew that it, they were coming from that house. Mm -hmm. We had no idea what a ports were. We had no idea when it first started. We thought maybe someone was coming into the house or one of us was playing a joke. We had no idea what was going on. Uh, then out of the blue, the gentleman said on a Friday, I have to leave, I'm moving, and by Sunday he had moved out. But he had never complained about anything happening in the house, so I don't know if it was bothering him or not, but I think it had because he moved so quickly. Okay. When we went up to the house to clean, I remember coming into the living room, and the gentleman left it in, in pretty nice shape, but it needed to be dusted and things. And I looked at a shelf that ran the whole length of the living room. It was up near the ceiling. You'd have to get on a ladder to get to it. My husband went into the other room to check on his sports memorabilia. I looked up, and it was covered with statues. And I remember looking around and then turning back, and it couldn't have been more than a, a two or three seconds. I looked back at the shelf, and every single statue on that shelf was turned backwards. Hmm. Now, my husband, when he came out, of course, said, no, you didn't see right. It was like that when you first saw it. But I knew it wasn't something that happened. Okay. Um, it progressed from there. We we came back the next day. My husband, because my husband at that time wouldn't believe what was happening. We came back the next day to start cleaning. Uh, when we walked in the house, I remember it was yeah, I think it was a lamp from the bedroom was sitting in the in the living room floor. My husband thought someone must have broken in, tried to move things around, or was trying to take things. Um, during this time, you have to understand there was nothing in the house that made you feel threatened. There was no ominous feelings, nothing. Uh, we went into the kitchen, uh, turned around. We were there maybe a minute, turned around, came back. All the dining room furniture, the table, the chairs, were in the, li in the living room on the on like a little uh, piled on one another in the living room. And so you, at that you, didn't point, hear any, you didn't hear any movement? Didn't hear a sound. There was no noise whatsoever. So that when we came out and saw that, that was like, it was unbelievable. I remember my husband at that point became very frightened, and he wanted to leave immediately. 
I, on the other why. hand, for some reason, it was, to me, it was totally fascinating because mm-hmm. I had never had any contact with any uh, anything paranormal. So the fact that I could come into a room and within a minute, all furniture could be moved without any sound, it was just my mind just, I just stood there, I remember, and looked at it, and, and I couldn't figure out what was happening, but it was fascinating. You could you could go to a, turn your back, say something, and it would move something. And it would respond to you. It had to have be an intelligence because it, when you asked it to do something, it did it. I have to uh, echo what you say because in, in similar cases, um, I have found it fascinating. I, I've only been frightened a few times, and this goes way back to you know the 70s and stuff. But uh, I know what you mean when you say it's really fascinating. However, uh, I always had... Um, a lot of healthy caution, especially today. I don't trust these th- these things. If it indeed is things moving the objects around, because it could be something else. We'll get into that later. But get, but go ahead and continue. So we we decided. Well, we we I went up there with my husband. He did come back because, like I said, there was nothing threatening there. I mean, you didn't feel when you came into the house anything bad. Mm-hmm. So we did clean the house and we left, and everything kind of stopped for a while. So we decided to re-rent the house out. Uh, we, we re-rented it out to an, uh, an older man and his girlfriend. Um, when they moved in, they were a very quiet couple. After uh, She would always come out in the front yard because the houses were right next door, and we would talk. And <clears throat> then I noticed she, she started to try to, like, ignore me. And then when I caught her one time out in the front yard, she had, been, she had a black eye and she had been beaten up. And I remember asking her what happened, and she said that since they moved in the house, her boyfriend had completely changed. He had become very hostile. Yeah, it's good so, to ask you about that. Yeah, personality so changes. Was was it something affecting him in the house? I don't know. You know, they hadn't done anything up to that point that I knew that was anything that was threatening. But she said he had completely changed to become very mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, she left out of the blue. I mean, one day she just was not wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. I asked anyway. him, well, you know, what happened to Michelle? He said. Oh, she left. So, you know, I thought, well, she left. I don't blame her for leaving. Did you talk to this man uh, yourself? What uh, Did you notice a personality? He was very unfriendly. He had become very unfriendly and very quiet. Okay. Um, he, when he said she left, it was like, I'm done talking to you, and he turned around and walked away. So he wasn't the type you could sit there and, and converse with. Okay. Um, within like a week or two weeks, he said, I'm leaving. And within a few days, he was gone. Hmm. Um, went back up, cleaned the house, nothing. When we went back to clean the house, there was no, nothing happened, no phenomena happened. It was quiet. Um, then like two, three weeks later, before we were deciding if we were going to, to rent the house out again, because at this time, we were thinking about moving. And we weren't moving because of the entity. We were moving because we were moving to a larger house. We were going to sell the three houses and moved to a larger house together. Um, the gentleman was knocking at that door. I remember he was knocking at the door, and I said, they, you know, no one's living there now. And he said to me, did you hear what happened to Michelle? That was the girl's name. And I said, no. And he said, they found her beaten to death, wrapped in a rug in a landfill. Oh, dear. Now, whether that is true or not, I really don't know. My husband was a type that read all kinds of newspapers and listened to the news. He never heard anything about it. But then I don't know where they found the body. I don't know if that's true or not, but before he can even question this man more, he got in his car and left. Hmm. Okay. So 
like I said, everything was was kind of quiet, and then we were we were moving. The last day we were moving, uh, my my mother in law and I were down at the house. We were the only ones in the house. Uh, we took our time moving because we only moved like ten miles away, and we moved a little bit at a time. We came back for the last box. We were in the bedroom, and we heard a sound in the kitchen, like an explosion almost. I we ran to the kitchen. And something had taken the cupboards that were on the wall in the kitchen and ripped them off the wall. And the, the floor was just covered in, in wooden pieces and splinters. Now, what year were we While we were in the about? kitchen, something in the bedroom was glass broke. We went back in, and all the windows had been blown out in the bedroom. From and the so inside? And so I grabbed or... my mother-in-law's arm, and we, we left. From the inside but or the outside? up until that point, like I said, to us personally, there was never anything that gave a hint that anything negative was there. Yeah. De- Deborah, um, you know, from, were the windows blown out from the inside or the outside? Do you inside out. The inside glass out. Was outside. Okay. And what year was this? This was the 19... No, let's see. I can't, it was 87. 87. Okay. 1987. Okay. And uh, Cause the, the grandmother died in 1984. That's when it first started, but I wasn't there. Okay. I came in 19, beginning of 1987. All right. Uh, so, so this was near the end of 1987. Okay. So go ahead. When we moved. Uh, when we first moved, uh, we thought, you know, everything was quiet. Nothing was happening at our new house. Uh, then within three, about three weeks or so, we noticed one thing happened, and if, if to a normal person, you would see this and you'd think, oh, it was nothing. It was a picture turned backwards. But it was like a little light went on in my head and said, uh-oh, because he just the, this entity loved to turn things backwards. What was it a picture of? It was a picture of my mother-in-law's dead sister. Hmm. Okay. So uh, in the new house, my husband and I were downstairs in the master bedroom, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were upstairs in that bedroom, and that, that bedroom was a, a nice bedroom with a, a bathroom uh, on the side, and it had like a, uh, like a living space for like television and things, uh, the next room next to it. So my mother-in-law was upstairs cleaning, and all of a sudden I heard her yell. She called for me, so I went running. Now, up until this point, little things had happened like things had been turning backwards. That was the big thing, but nothing big had happened moving things, things like that. Uh, she, she brought me into her bathroom, and on the mirror was talk to me. And I, I of course, thought, well, who wrote it? You know, it was, it was, and my husband and my father-in-law came up, and I remember my husband saying, well, what's it written in? And I, I pushed just on ask it, that. and it was, it was soap. So, so it was written on, with soap on the bathroom mirror. Okay. In her bathroom here. And this is in the new house about 10 miles away from the old house. Right. This is the new house. Okay. Uh, of course, one of us thought one of us had did it because, first of all, I never heard of, of a ghost or entities writing on, on mirrors. So we, we said, well, we have to show that we're not doing it. Four of us left the bathroom, and we waited. We cleaned the mirror. We left the bathroom. We walked back in, gave it a few minutes, and on the mirror was new writing. So we showed to, our, to the four of us that it wasn't one of us doing it, and no one else was in the house. Mm-hmm. So we had, a face, we had a face that something was in the house that we couldn't see that had the ability to write to us on the mirror. Okay. Did you find any soap that had been tampered yeah, the with? the bar of soap was sitting right there, and the tip of it was worn down, like someone had used it to write. Okay. 
Let, let me pause here and ask a question. I have a lot of questions when you finish your, your narrative. Sure. But, um, did it? Did anyone wonder how something that, I, mean, I presume that you assumed this was a spirit, a non-corporeal being, right? At, at the beginning, <clears throat> when the writing at the beginning, yes. Okay. Because of this, the entity started to pretend that it was my mother-in-law's dead sister. See, th- that's one of the reasons you're on the show. I was very impressed with that in your book, th- that you didn't take the thing at face value. Most people do, which can be a serious well, mistake. And I respect that, that you had doubts about what it really might be. Yeah. So it, it even called my mother-in-law, when I say called, when I referred to how it communicated, it was always written on the, on the, mirror, on the walls or mirror in soap. Uh, it referred to her with a nickname, that only her, her dead sister used when she was a child. We didn't even know it, mm-hmm. which was Nini. So my mother-in-law was, oh, it's okay, it's my dead sister. But I had my doubts. I said, you know, what, what's going on? You know, we got to be careful. And the more I would press that it wasn't her sister, then it started to get upset. That's what I and do. Just, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her I don't believe you're so-and-so because I can tell darn right, right then and there it's a parasite and the thing, everything changes. Right. So then it started to get upset and it started to be threatening. Yeah. It said things like no escape. One of the things it wanted us to do when, when, when it was pretending to be her dead sister, it wanted us to stay out of our attic. Hmm. Uh, for some reason, if you went up the top of the stairs and if you turned right, there was a door and that went into the attic. It would say, don't go in your attic. There's danger there. There's a bad wire. It wasn't saying to us, there's a bad wire. Get it fixed so you don't get hurt. Yeah. It was saying, there's a bad wire in there. Don't go in your attic. For, so for some reason, it didn't want us in the attic. Well, some, some, I find sometimes they'll say things just to confuse you or get you wondering and have you looking the other way, and there's really no danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? I mean, you're the one who went through this, not me. So. Right. So, well, it progressed from there. It, uh, my, I remember my father-in-law, one of the few times he ever wrote on the mirror, he wrote, because we would talk to it, but it wouldn't like, at this time, it wouldn't answer our questions. It was just, it would say what it wanted to say. And so he you, kept saying, well, we kept saying, what's your name? Who are you? Mm-hmm. And finally, my father-in-law wrote on the mirror, what is your name? I remember that. And we came back and it wrote, his, he wanted to be called Prince. <laughs> okay. It, so so you, you didn't communicate verbally. You communicated with by writing no, on the mirror? No, usually we would com- communicate verbally. Yeah. But okay. at the beginning, he wouldn't, it was like he didn't want to answer us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He would make uh, threats. He would comment on things we said, like he was with us and would overhear everything we said. But if you talked to him, he didn't want to respond at that time. How did you know there was just one? You d- Actually, I don't think there was just one. I think yeah, after a while there was a lot there of more. them. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah. yeah as, as the dinner bell rings, uh, some others show up and some dominate the others. It's quite an interesting Right. I, yeah, I got the feeling yeah. that there was a lot more than one here at one time. Yeah. Because yeah. not only was the writing, two different kinds of writing, but the, the, the strange things that would do was like more than one thing was here. I was going to it point like that out. There was out one that... main one that was the bully, and the rest kind of did what he said. Yeah, that that sounds simplistic, but that that's exactly what we often find in these cases. So so uh, go ahead and um, you know finish the tale and tell us how it all turned out. So it fi- for some reason it started to focus all this negativity on my mother-in-law, and her name was Lee, mm-hmm. and it it would say I hate Lee, or. Uh, Different thing. It just hated. It just all its negativity went towards my mother-in-law. It and and not only did it was it writing on the wall uh, mirrors at that time. It also started to gouge and 
paint and do anything it could on the walls all over the house with its symbol. And its symbol was a triangle with a little tail. Mm-hmm. I, I, I looked it, that up, actually. And it put that all over the house. Mm-hmm. It even put it on our cars. Really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, this entity got so... At the time, my mother-in-law, my husband and I would say, well, you know, we got to get help. We have to go to somebody and try to get help for this. And my mother-in-law was afraid. She said, people will think, well, crazy. You can't. This was a time, you have to remember, it wasn't like now where people talk about this and people are open about what's happening. Well, Back even the now, 19- they're, they're afraid. You know, but as, yeah. you're, as you say, it was less so then, less open then. Yeah. Back in the 80s, if you said that, people thought you were nuts. Or my mother-in-law also had a lot of guilt feelings about her father. And so she thought, well, maybe something's happening to my family because, because of my father, her, yeah. her father. Um, so she didn't want anybody to know. So we became very isolated, which is the worst thing you can do. Yes. Um, but then the entity liked it because he also wanted us isolated. Absolutely. He would make us so uncomfortable if we tried to be with people that we, we, we isolated ourselves. If we went to someone's house, you know, just for a visit, he would do things to make us not want to go back there. Like we went to a friend's house, and when we got home, the gentleman's wallet was on our kitchen table. <laughs> now, how can we explain to our friend why we have his wallet? Yeah, you can't finesse you your know, way out of that one. T- right. So it would make us so, if we, if wherever we went, it went with us. If we went to a restaurant, he went to the restaurant. He would move things around on the table. He would apport things. When we got home, we'd find the name of the server, her name or his name, that was pinned to his shirt would be sitting on the kitchen table. So he made it, us realize that we couldn't escape him no matter where we went. Mm-hmm. He became almost our captor. Yeah. Seen it before. It's very interesting that uh, <clears throat> my friend Shane Searway, uh, one of the few investigators Ben and I will actually work with, is um, has made the comment that it's not places that are haunted, it's people. Uh, that's not always true, but very often it is, and people don't realize it. And you certainly sound like a, an excellent example of that. So why, well, Definitely. We, we couldn't get away from it. It wasn't in our house. It was with us. Mm-hmm. And like I said, then it started focusing all its negativity on my mother-in-law. My poor mother-in-law, if she didn't have such strong faith in God, I don't know how she would have got through this. It would uh, take her clothes. It would take a blouse, and it would rip or tear uh, one arm out or her pair of pants it would rip so that she didn't have clothes to wear so we were constantly buying her new clothes it would take her shoes and leave her uh, a shoe from two different pairs of shoes so her shoes didn't match it was like a constant uh mental attack on her uh mm-hmm. then it got to the point where it started trying to actually hurt her physically it would put knives her she had like favorite chairs she would sit in it would booby trap knives, so if she sat down, she'd sit on a knife. She'd go to bed at night, and there'd be a knife in her pillow, so if she put her head back, she'd get stabbed. It got to the point where we had to go wherever she went, and we'd have to examine before she sat down. Was she ever actually injured? Uh, the only time she was actually injured was when the entity grabbed her by the neck. Okay. Were there finger that marks time, and things? Yes. Okay. They appeared uh, when she she went to the pantry by herself. We were watching TV because it got to the point where I wouldn't leave her alone. If I was with her, for some reason, the entity would not touch her. If she got away from me, then she'd be vulnerable. So she got up and went into the pantry to get paper towels or something. We heard a scream. We ran to the door. She said it was locked, but when, when we got there, we could go right in. 
it, the light was off. We got there. She was just holding her throat, getting up. And she said when she went to get the, the paper towels, the entity turned the light off and grabbed her by the throat. And as we watched, we could see the, the bruises, the finger marks or whatever it was, uh, the darkness on her throat starting yeah, to appear. I've seen that, so too. So there yeah. was, you could see what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it, was, it was getting really bad. At this time, we decided, to, well, finally, we talked her into trying to get help. Uh, she contacted a member of a, a, a priest from a church. She was she was Catholic, but she hadn't gone to church since her mother died because she went to church with her mother. When her mother died, she stopped actually going to church. Not that she stopped believing in God, but she just didn't go to church. Uh, a priest came to the house. She didn't tell him what was going on. She told him that we had just moved to the house. We wanted the house blessed. He was an older man. He came to the house. He went into the foyer. And he wouldn't go any further into the house. Hmm. He took out holy water. He made the sign of the cross. He said, all right, I have to leave. <laughs> and she said, don't you have to go to each room and bless it? He said, no, no, this is good enough. And then she, she grabbed him it's by the arm. And true. I remember she, yeah. she tried, to, tried to explain what was going on in the house. And he turned to me and looked at me and said, ladies, when they get this age, they go a little crazy. And he pulled her arm off his arm and ran through the door and got in his car and never heard from him again. Well, you know, th this is one thing I always point out. Having almost become a priest myself, almost, um, mm -hmm. I can testify that the priests are not trained how to deal with mm -hmm. the paranormal. People think they are. Neither are our ministers and things of this kind. Maybe, uh, like I missed it, like the last year, maybe there was some, some mention of that then, but I, they really aren't. There are certain ones who are trained uh, very, um, you know, sort of hand-chosen and now, supposedly, the training is expanding. I mean, I'm out of touch with the Vatican lately, like they're mm. going to tell me anything. So uh, uh, anyway, but that's it's true. Sometimes the clergy are no help in this. But we're, go we're going to uh, take our break uh, right now, and uh, we'll be right back with Deborah Moffat, a very interesting uh, conversation. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Be right back. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. It was written in the stars, and what was written in the stars will be. Your astrological chart is based on the positions the planets were in on the day you were born, influencing your destiny, past, present, and future. I've had decades of experience doing charts with a large celebrity clientele and others all over the world. The stars are a beacon lighting your future. Your chart provides the answers to questions on health, money, relationships, all your most important concerns. The in-depth guidance that you need is here for you. If there's a windfall in your chart, I'll find it. Call me at 401-333-4048 to order your chart or update, revealing the exciting changes coming up. Let me tell you how to get the most out of your future and keep you moving forward. I'm available for speaking engagements for clubs and groups and for private parties. Call me at 401 Three 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 four zero four eight. Benefit through my years of experience. Okay, we are back, and I just wanted to remind you that there are several charities Ben and I have adopted. Many of them are veterans charities, both U.S. and Canadian. And uh, you can find those at our website, the show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, and we'll mention them again toward the end of the show. But let's go back to our conversation with uh, Deborah Moffat, the author of Unwelcomed, The True Story of the Moffat Family Haunting. And uh, before we burn up this hour completely, Deborah, why don't you tell people about the book, where they can find out more about it, where they can get it? 
Okay, the the book, the new one I just uh, wrote is called Unwelcomed, the true story of the Mava family haunting, and they can get that at Amazon. Cool. There's also another version, which is a Deadly Haunting, which is uh, uh, the fiction version. It's, it's, it's just like, the, you know, it's the same thing, but it's like a little elaborated. Uh, it's not 100% factual. It's like 95% factual. Okay. Uh, one good thing about Unwelcomed, which uh, what the thing I wanted to tell people, it shows pictures. Okay. Uh, the pictures in the most fat has over a hundred pictures of it. It of is very genome. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, well, I wish the news the... was ninety-five percent accurate. You know, that would be good. Uh, <laughs> but, so, but the pictures to me, the pictures. I wanted people to be able to see these pictures. Um, there, you can go to a deadlyhaunting.com. Uh, there's a lot of pictures there. Uh, the pictures are what's really fascinating because these pictures were taken t- twenty-five years ago, mm. and uh, I mean, it's just fascinating. The pictures. Okay. All right, so why don't you continue your narrative, and then when, when uh, you've told us how it all worked out, uh, I have a number of questions of my own. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, it's a very long story, so I'm just going to kind of give you the abbreviated version. Uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, we are limited in time, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had people from all over the United States come to try to help us. We had people from the university. We had Ed Lorraine Warren. We had uh, Chuck Moses from Los Angeles, uh, Lloyd Arbach. People, Chris Chacon, people all over tried to help us. They would come, they would, you know, this is a strange thing, too. First, they'd come, they say to us, now document everything that's going on. So we'd take pictures, and we write everything down. Then the next group that would come would say, oh, no, get rid of all these pictures, get rid of all this, because you're keeping it here by focusing on it. Yeah. yeah. So I document, I mean, if I had kept all the documentation, it would have been wonderful, but I got through most of it away. We only saved a little of it. Uh, because, you know, I did, we didn't want to keep it here, so we tried to do anything we could to get rid of it. Uh, like I said, we had people come from all over the United States. It did, it, this focus was, like I said, on my mother-in-law. Um, the day that it grabbed my mother-in-law by the throat, uh, I had just had it. You know, you know, it comes to the point where even if you're fighting something you can't see, you have to stand up. You have to, you know, I had a child, my husband, who had a heart condition, so he couldn't be the strong one. My father-in-law wasn't a very nice man. My mother-in-law was, was, was being pushed to the brink of suicide. So I remember I said, I can't take it anymore. I mean, so I went into the mirror. My, it got so bad, my mother and father-in-law had to move out of their room upstairs, and they moved in with us down in the master bedroom. So we were all sleeping together in the master bedroom mm-hmm. for protection because my mother-in-law was constantly, you know, in, in danger. Um, when he grabbed her by the throat, I went into the mirror. When we stopped talking, when they stopped living upstairs so we could talk on the mirror upstairs, it changed to writing on our mirror downstairs in the guest bathroom so that we could see it. It owned the upstairs. I mean, you could start to go up the steps going upstairs, and you could feel this, like, heaviness on you. Yeah. So we never went upstairs. It's like it took over the upstairs. Did you find uh, that what we find, that these... Well, we we call them parasites because I presume that's what this certainly acted like one. That they will sometimes take um, some time to find you, physically speaking, if you move to another part of the house or whatever the situation may be. Uh, when you say take time, what do you mean by take well? In other words, uh, when uh, their spatial perceptions in our particular reality don't always seem to be the same as ours. Uh, I've, I, I'm thinking of cases in which. I advised people to move to a different bedroom, and it took the thing a couple of days to a week at times to find them again. 
you know what? I really can't remember. It was quite a while ago. Of course. If there was a, a, a time discrepancy between her moving into the bedroom and it finding her. I why, really can't remember that. Why do you think it was just her? Because we do find that, that even if I there are a number of them. This, uh, when I explain this, she'll understand Sure, that. okay. Uh, when I went, so it was talking now in the downstairs mirror. So I went into the downstairs mirror, and I confronted it. And I just looked in the mirror and said, listen, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to show you respect. You're going to show me respect. I'll accept nothing else. You're not to touch my child, my husband, or Lee. And I left the room to see what it was going to say. I came back in, and it wrote, I will not touch the child. I will not touch your husband, but Lee belongs to me. So from that point, I said to it, why, why does Lee belong to you? And for the next hour, two hours, it wrote me a story on the mirror explaining why Lee belonged to him. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, because you never know if no, they're telling you the truth or lying. Mm-hmm. It said that it knew it would, it, Lee in a past life had been promised to him for a blood sacrifice in a monastery in France in what, like those, what, 15 or 1600s. The, the blood sacrifice never came to be. She had, somehow or other, she wasn't sacrificed. But he said it didn't matter whether she was sacrificed then or not. She belonged to him, and he had come to collect her. Likely story, but... Yeah, so yeah. that's why he said she belonged to him. Okay. Um, from that point on, uh, the entity, for some reason, it kind of changed. It started to, more, to communicate more. You could go in, and I remember I was the only one that would talk to it because I was the only one that wasn't afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And it started talking. I mean, it would, it would talk to me. If I asked it a question, it would answer. So it kind of changed at that point where we communicated instead of just talking at us. It started to talk, talk to me. So you mean you, you heard, uh, the physically you heard the voice? Never heard. Always on the mirror. Always right? on the mirror. Right, right. Okay. Always on the yep. mirror. Um, but it still was after my mother-in-law. I mean, it, uh, my poor mother-in-law, it got to the point where she was just uh, half of herself. But, you know, it's strange because this, this entity was extremely powerful and very intelligent. My mother-in-law spoke like four different languages. One of the languages she spoke was Tobresh, which is a combination of Italian and Albanian. Now, it's a very, very old dialect. I don't even know if it's still spoken. I think there are about 20 people And my mother-in-law and my husband spoke it also. Mm. And my mother-in-law would try to talk to my husband. She would talk to him in Tobresh, thinking the entity wouldn't understand what she was saying. And the entity would talk, would write on the mirror in Tobresh whenever she would talk in Tobresh. If she spoke in Italian, it would answer in Italian. So it's it's any language. I mean, it spoke all different languages. Mm-hmm. I've was, seen that. I mean, yeah. that was amazing. I've that, had that happen to me. Yeah. And it was extremely powerful. Like, all these knives that were put around the house. She'd be sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden she'd look next to her, and in the wall there'd be a knife stuck. They weren't our knives. They were. I mean, we had a collection of like 100 knives. that we, The box we just threw away full of knives. These weren't our knives. They were old knives, new knives. But they weren't ours. It, it, it evidently apported them. Mm-hmm. And that it had the power. I remember once it took our truck, and the truck was locked, not running, and it put it in the middle of the street. When we woke up the next day, the truck was in the street. Yeah, I mean, so, it had yeah. enormous power. Mm-hmm. So if it really could have, if it did have the power to kill my mother-in-law, which I don't think it did, I think even whatever it was, demons, whatever it is, have restrictions on what they can do. It wanted her to kill herself. It wanted her 
my my father-in-law to kill her, but I don't think it actually could physically just grab her and kill her. That's an interesting point, because I've often thought that myself, and I, I might use different terms, but... There do seem to be limits, and I think that those limits might be based on the fact that these things are not entirely in our world. They're still in their parallel world, wherever or whenever that might be, because uh-huh. the, the physical manifestations, uh, in my case, being injured on several occasions, uh, in your case, having the, the physical uh, mirror, you know, so the thing obviously had perception in our world, but it wasn't entirely there. If it would, you would have seen its body, uh-huh. you know, the whole being, whatever species it might have been. There are about nine of them that we've identified over the years. So uh, it's a fascinating kind of interplay here between, in our terms anyway, between parallel worlds. And it's not entirely in ours, therefore it can only do so much. And maybe that's the reason. I don't know. That's just our theory. Yeah. It's just almost like he could only go so far. Exactly. He wanted her dead, but he couldn't actually do it. But he had the strength and the power to do it, but he just couldn't do it. Mm. Yeah, the question, you know, if you have these parallel worlds, how come Godzilla can't come through from some parallel world and start eating uh, New York City or San Diego, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, literally, I mean, that, that, that right. could could happen I mean, if there was right. complete uh, give and take among the worlds. Right, because if you saw the strength it had, the things it could do. I remember one time we had on the stairs from, the, the, like the third stair down, from on the stairs coming downstairs, we had a waterfall. Like someone, like a waterfall outside you see on the side yeah, of a mountain. Yeah, I've seen that too. Water, I mean, and there was no source of water, mm-hmm. yet the water was, was flowing like a waterfall. We had water coming out of our light fixtures with yeah. no source of water. Yeah, that happened in Vermont. Yeah. So, I mean, we ran the gauntlet of all the paranormal things. I mean, noises, sounds, smells, everything. Yeah, the whole three-ring I circus mean, there. Yeah, it really was. And then... Um, they did another thing that was very amazing. My, like I said, we were all sleeping in the same bedroom. Uh, my father-in-law woke up one morning, I, probably 3.30, 4 o'clock, and he woke up with a start. And I remember I was reading in bed, and I ran over to the bed. My husband ran over, and he took out from under the covers a spearhead. And it was about 18 inches long, made of uh, iron. It looks like metal iron. Uh, and it's very old. And I remember I went into the bathroom and asked Mr. Entity. And that's the time I started calling him Mr. Entity. Yeah. Uh, I asked him, what, you know, what is that? And he said it was a spear he brought from the Belgian Congo. And it was to be used by my father-in-law to, to, get, to, get the, to kill my mother-in-law for the blood. He wanted a blood ritual. And he even put down, I remember, on the mirror, step by step, how to do this blood ritual that he demanded be performed. You and know, I remember I took the spear and I said, "No, you're not, you're not having a blood ritual." And I just took it. And and he, the entity got so upset, it blew out all the windows in the upstairs. Mm-hmm. I still have that spear. I put it away. It's safe put away. And if I have it, I know he's not hurting anybody else with it. Well, so, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, we took. We took the spear to the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told us it was a, a spear from the Belgian Congo area. They said it was over 200 years old, that the way it was sharpened, they could tell it wasn't used for warfare. It wasn't used for hunting. It was probably used by a shaman for magical rituals. So they confirmed what he said, that it was from the Belgian Congo area. Okay. So that, this went that... on from 19... 19- 87 till 92. I mean, it was constant. Uh, finally, 
we had different people come try to help us. Nobody could help us. Uh, one gentleman came two or three different times. His name was Gary. Uh, he decided his life was not a happy one. Uh, he decided that if he asked me, he was leaving. He was leaving the country. He decided that he was going to ask Mr. Entity to come with him because we were trying to get rid of Mr. Entity. And he thought if he asked Mr. Entity to come with him, he could use Mr. Entity to make his life better, which is a stupid, stupid thing to do. But that's what he went into the mirror, and he told Mr. Entity that. And I remember I went in, and I said, okay, Mr. Entity, you have to go. You can't be here any longer. You have to leave. Um, I said, this gentleman's giving saying you can go with him. Go with him. And the entity wrote on the mirror, I will not work with an inferior being. Very he interesting. Like yeah, I saw that in the book. That's extremely interesting. Yeah. He said, I said, well, why, why won't you go with him? And he wrote, he has no integrity. He has no word. It was almost, and I, you know, I thought to myself, here's this Mr. Entity doing all these horrible things. He killed three of our dogs. He tried to kill my mother-in-law. I mean, destroyed our life for this many years. And yet he's thinking he doesn't go, want to go with someone because they don't have any integrity. <laughs> I mean, I didn't understand this. This whole thing that happened, I never had any answers to. I don't understand why it happened how it happened, or who was here. Let me suggest one. But I still have so many unanswered questions. Let me suggest um, a partial answer anyway. I've run into this before. Uh, One of the earliest um, cases in America that's well-known in American history was the Bell Witch case, so-called, of Robertson County, Tennessee, 1817 to 1821. Now, this case involved uh, a family. uh, A film was made called American Haunting with Sissy Spacek and Donald Sutherland. I was a consultant and was able to look at certain documents that kind of make it sound almost like what happened to you. Mm -hmm. I think you might have been dealing with an unemployed God. Okay, let me say that again. I think you were dealing with something that was some kind of intersect from some place in what to us is the past, maybe the Belgian Congo, which is now the Republic of the Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo, is nothing nothing democratic about it. However, these things um, would come into communities, a need to eat, need to feed on energy, and I think that when the, they would uh, get such recognition and such um, influence that people would listen to them, they would do what the so-called Bell Witch did, there's a reason for that name. Uh, which actually I think was four entities that had been connected with the mound builders, the Native Americans in the middle of the uh, country a number of um, centuries ago who were involved supposedly in human sacrifice, uh, that they would um, pretend to be gods, and people would would buy that. And they come into the modern world through some one intersect or another, and it doesn't work that way, and they get all frustrated, and they do precisely what you've described this thing doing, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, that's why it, it might even have believed that, I mean, the whole blood sacrifice thing, how much energy do they get from that? How much do they get from war? And, and mm-hmm. you see what they do in families, what they did to you and your family. Uh, and I'm assuming everything you're telling me is true. I have no reason not to. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, I've seen it again and again and again. And I think you might have been dealing with an unemployed God, in a sense, with a, cap, with, with a, with a uh, small G, so to speak. Jeez. Just the way it acted, know. you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Let it me. Was, it, it started to refer to us as his family. Precisely. Yeah. That that that's the kind of thing that that would happen in a lot of the African 
a really nasty uh, kind of uh, animistic uh, situations. If you, I don't know if you've ever been to London, but if you do, go to the British Museum. They have, at least when I was there, they had a, a, a huge gallery of the nice gods, like Isis and Osiris and guys like that. Mm-hmm. But then next to that, they have these, these really crummy backyard nasty little ugly deities such as you might have been dealing with uh re- you know renditions of them done by artists in the different tribes and uh, i think that they had great influence in human history in that way because people thought they were gods and mm-hmm. and they fed on that so that might be one possible explanation for some of the stuff you went through i was very interested if i may ask some uh, some things that that really st- uh, stuck out in sure. your book to me uh the um Multiple houses being affected is something that is rather, uh, if I may use the term progressive in this field. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, I started noticing that in the 70s and then coming up that you never look at just one house when you're researching a case. You always look at the whole area. And, and as a result, Ben and I have come up with all kinds of interesting findings from uh, flap areas, you know, sometimes hundreds of square miles that are affected by seemingly the same kind of energies that you're talking about. But a lot of people don't report them, and the neighbors uh, will if you get them to talk about it. Uh, the apportations that were going on, the objects sometimes in great distances and, and times, and you did talk uh, somewhat about that. Stuff moving in the blink of an eye. Now, when I've been in poltergeist cases, um, and you also make another point that I found fascinating, that you're never looking directly at something, usually when it moves or flips or whatever it does, and I found exactly the same thing. Right. So um, either what you say is true or, or, or you know an awful lot about these phenomena, <laughs> you know, uh, or both, you know, and I'm assuming that what you say is true, certainly uh, you, you seem very sincere. So these are all things that I've seen myself. Uh, the personality right. changes, as you described, uh, the the neighbor having the the, the um, male of the couple. Uh, we've seen that again too in such situations. Uh, we, we were called into a case in Providence, Rhode Island, a few years ago, uh, where there was a, an entire house and the people were renting it, just as you did, and everybody's lives would fall apart as soon as they'd move into this house. They'd get negative, and we traced it to. Um, um, the basement, and there, there was a, a sort of a coming and going kind of a parasitical entity uh, that seemed to have some influence there, and there's that. So, so everything you wrote uh, that I've seen rang a bell with me, and that's one of the reasons I invited you uh, on the show this this evening. Now, how did the Warrens come into this? I, I, I worked with them not uh, not after 1978, but I was fascinated that, that they they sort of turned up. How did that happen, and what did they do? I, I... Uh, during the time, we looked constantly for people to help us. Um, someone gave me uh, the book, or my husband bought the book of the demonologist, I remember, mm. after we found out about him. But I called her on the phone, and she said they were coming out to California to see a friend, some kind of convention or something, so they would come to our house and try to help us. So uh, when they were out in California, they came here, and they were here for like two or three days. They never stayed with us. They stayed. We put them up in a hotel. Um but they came, uh, they couldn't do anything. Uh, hmm. They said they didn't have any contacts out in California, so, but they did try to do what they could. They were very nice people. Oh, yeah, they very were very nice, nice people, yeah. Yeah, especially Ed. I mean, I could have listened to him for days. I mean, he would just tell these I stories. Did. You just didn't <laughs> listen. Yeah. 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 But, All right. But uh, they, they couldn't help, but they were very nice people, and they tried. Yeah. Okay. Who was Reverend David? Is that name Reverend David, we found somebody in a bookstore because, you know, where do you go to find help on this? We would go to paranormal bookstores. That's a good bookstores. question. Yeah. yeah, we would go to the psychic conventions. 
We would go to all these kind of things to try to find help. Uh, at a bookstore, someone said, well, I know this gentleman. His name's Reverend David. He's in Carson, California. Go see him. So, like, we went to see him. He was a very strange man. But for some reason, Mr. Entity, you know, probably one of his many stories, uh, said he knew him from a past life, and he liked him. <laughs> so he would constantly tell us, go get Reverend David to come back here. Go get Reverend David to come back here. Uh, so Reverend David tried to help us. He was a little strange. He said he was a walk-in. And he said a walk-in is, because we had no idea what a walk-in was. Mm -hmm. He said sometimes people during operations or sickness or something, they just have too much. They decide they don't want to be here anymore. So they leave their body, and their spirits of different people can walk into their body. And he wasn't actually David. He was someone else who came into David's body. Well, so, I have my doubts about it. I, mean, I, I oh, think yeah. th there, are, there are certain ways to interpret that according to, that might be interpreted as relatively relative decent physics, but spirits coming into people's bodies, I don't, I don't think that that's quite the way I would we put it. Had, you, have to, you have to understand, not only did we get the people that were reputable and really tried, but we got a lot of crazy people Absolutely. Tried. That's I the mean, trouble. Be very careful who you call. That should be a lesson. And yet, and yet you're everybody. afraid to say no when you're as desperate as we were. Mm -hmm. You're afraid to say no to anyone because that might be the person that can help you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So no, you welcome you. everyone into your house for help. And some of the people, really, if you saw them on the street, you'd walk across the street and walk on the other side. Yeah. But we had no choice. We, we were desperate. Well, we know. We have to go in and clean up the messes sometimes, sometimes from people yeah. who are quite famous, actually. Uh, Lloyd Orbach also stands out. Uh, he's uh, someone we respect very much. Uh, I don't know him as well as he knew the Warrens, but... Uh, a very nice gentleman tried to help us. Yes. He sent Chris, Chris Chacon on. Now, Mr. Entity, loved to, Mr. Entity loved to have the people come to the house to try to get rid of them. Yeah, I think he almost <laughs> thought it was funny yeah. because he would comment on them. Mm -hmm. He would do a different... And I remember with Chris Chacon. Chris Chacon came and went through the house and went in there with the mirror, and he had... The very first time I saw one of the boxes, I think, what were they? I don't know what they're called. Um, oh, the so-called uh, ghost boxes. Yeah, right. One yeah, of those. I, I did about that. I remember when he left, Chris, Chris Chacon left, Mr. Entity wrote on the mirror, you're fools, that box didn't detect me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, so, that's sort mean, of a retail scam, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, you yeah. know, he just he would call us fools all the time. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, but the, the entity on the mirror, I mean... It got to the point I would people wouldn't understand if I talked to the entity and kept him busy talking, using his energy, communicating. He left my mother-in-law alone. He stopped destroying the house because he literally destroyed our home. Mm. I mean, our walls. We had to replaster the walls. We had, he would cut his symbol in the in the rugs. Three or four foot pieces of rug would be missing. Oh, the he symbol, by the way. Home. I meant to mention the symbol, by the way. Uh, kind of was reminiscent of. One of some of the symbols on the uh, craft that landed at Rendlesham Forest in the presence of the Air Force personnel in December 1980 in England. It really? Just, yeah, it uh, it wasn't exactly the same, but it just it reminded me of those because Jim Penniston, whom we know, was one of the Air Force security people who was a witness and and actually uh, sketched the shapes uh, on the craft, and he said. He didn't, under hypnosis, he didn't believe these were aliens in the classic sense. They were us, only he believes they were time travelers. Uh -huh. So all this stuff can come into this. The whole notion of past lives is intriguing, as, as this entity mentioned it, um, because f from the viewpoint of physics, past lives, as 
we understand really aren't possible because there really is no past, really is no future. It's all simultaneous. That comes from the general theory of relativity. So um, that's an interesting. So the parallel life thing is really what it yeah, is, Mr. if that's Mr. correct. He used to refer to different levels. He called them levels. Levels, interesting. Levels. He would say levels. I remember one person that came to the house, he said, oh, I fought her on a different level. I defeated her on a different level before. Interesting. Well, I'm afraid, I hate to stop you there, but this is fascinating, but we're out of time. So um, I might be in touch off the air. I might like to continue this conversation. You know what? You're welcome to come to the house. I'll show you the pictures. Well, unfortunately, I live in Rhode Island, so next time I get my my Gulf Stream up in the air there. uh, Yeah, you're welcome to call, and I'll tell you anything you'd like to know. Thank you very much, and thank you for a great conversation. We'll talk to you again. And thank you so much for having me on. Very good. Okay, everybody. Deborah Moffat. Bye-bye, Deborah. Uh, The book is Unwelcomed. Check it out on Amazon.com. Very interesting story. Okay, let's start our announcements now. Uh, Find out about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, which we recently learned is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Uh, There you can find 650 free podcasts of past shows from both here on uh, ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, Ben and I joined author and researcher William J. Hall for a presentation on what's really behind the paranormal this past Saturday, November 21st, at the Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire. It was a great afternoon, and many thanks to the wonderful people uh, at that center. Uh, So that's it for our 2016 lecture season, I think. And we'll see you in April 2016 at the New England Parafest in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. You can find my books, too, on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and the rest. Uh, Cosmic Journey, we've been getting some questions about that's coming from Schiffer Publishing. I don't know when. They're talking 2017. Why they're waiting so long, I don't know. We'll see if we can move that along. Uh, anyway, if you buy uh, the books at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also, on our website, you'll find direct links to several of the charities I mentioned uh, that Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things out there for at-risk youth, YouthMentoring.org. Okay, and um, let's see. Next Monday, November 30th, uh, we'll welcome back our old friend, author Mac Maloney, for a look at why the military is interested in paranormally active areas. Mac is well known, uh, best known as the author of the Wingman series of novels, but he's also very, very knowledgeable, uh, knowledgeable about UFOs and military affairs. And also two recent books, uh, before I forget to mention those, from Global Communications. The Bell Witch Project, which, in, which contains that story, and also a few contributions by me on historical cases here in New England, including the 17th century Specter Leaguers of Massachusetts, which you probably never heard of, and the 18th and 19th century Vampire Hysteria in Rhode Island and Connecticut. Uh, interesting stuff. Both books are available at Amazon, and the other one, of course, UFO Repeaters, which has an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier. So we'll leave you this evening with an important thought from Fred Rogers, the Renaissance man and educator. Uh, When I was a boy and would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words. Okay, I'm Paul Eno, and Ben uh, sends his best. He's not quite here, but he will be next week, hopefully. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.